We've worshipped today, amen? Amen. 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 We have worshipped today. I I guess you would call me a landlubber, and uh, that means I had very little experience boating growing up. My family was not into uh, lakes or rivers or streams with a boat. We didn't own a boat. We'd go fishing, and usually with a cane pole and some worms is what we would fish with, and very seldom ever used a rod and reel. But, uh, so I had no experience with boating. But when I came out of seminary, when Arlen and I graduated uh, in Fort Worth and we moved back to Florida, we, went to, we were called to the First Baptist Church of Gulf Breeze right across Pensacola Bay from Pensacola. And uh, we had one of the church families had four teenagers in, in my student group because as an associate, I had uh, youth responsibilities too. And so we had four of these uh, students in my youth group and, and uh, their parents owned a Hobie cat. And we would go out on Pensacola Bay, they would take me out on this Hobie Cat, and we would go sailing, and every now and then they'd let me steer the the rudder on that Hobie Cat, and it was a lot of fun. Well, I I became interested in wanting to learn how to sail the Hobie Cat myself, so I got a book uh, on sailing and studied it up, and then next time I was out uh, with with our students of this family, uh, I, I started trying to put it into practice. Well, I, I made a, a number of mistakes learning how to tack, how to do all the things that you needed to do uh, to be able to sail a Hobie cat. And I learned real quickly, it's one thing to read about it, it's another thing to actually do it, all right? There's a lot of difference in reading about something and then actually taking the time to practice and get used to it and become proficient at it. And as I was thinking about that experience in my own life, I'm reminded when we talk about the Christian family, and today we're going to be talking about the Christian family. It's one thing to read what God's Word has to say. It's another thing to put it into practice. Just like for me, I, the, the better that I learned how to handle the way that the Hobie Cat was designed to sail, the better I became at it and, and, and more functionally how beautiful it was to sail. And the same thing with the family. The more we understand God's Word and what He has to say about a Christian family, the better able we are to have strong families and be the people that God wants us to be within our family setting. So this morning we're going to be looking at the Christian family. Now, and we may want to start with the definition of what a Christian family is. Well, a Christian family is not just a family where all people are Christians. I know a lot of families that whereby claims to be a Christian, but they are as dysfunctional as, as, as the rest of the world because they're not following God's Word. So for me, a Christian family is one that is striving to follow God's Word about what a family is supposed to be. That doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make some mistakes along the way. But it does mean that as we are God's children and as we study His Word and we begin to apply it in the family, all the individuals in the family doing their part, we will find that God will honor that, our families will become stronger, and even in times of failure weakness, we'll find ourselves getting it over much quicker and easier because we're following God's Word. So let's take God's Word this morning. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 21. Now please understand there is no comprehensive passage in all of God's Word that deals with the family. So we have to pick and choose different places to pull from God's Word. But I'm going to center on this one today. Because found in this passage of Scripture, I think are some crucial essentials for the relationship that we need to have as family members. 
So we're going to be looking at essentials for a home. We're going to be looking uh, at uh, uh, the word that teaches us a little more about how to have grace in our homes and how to have a caring atmosphere. And then we're going to be talking about the right kind of attitude in our home. So let's begin with talking about some essentials for the home. Now, I was thinking about essentials, and let's take something that we're all very familiar with. Let's take Coca-Cola. And we know that there has to be essential ingredients in a Coca-Cola to taste like a Coke. But you can have all kinds of Coca-Cola products. You can have the original Coke. You can have a vanilla Coke. You can have a cherry Coke. You can have a cherry vanilla Coke. You can have vanilla orange Coke. You can have Coke Zero, and you can have a Diet Coke. But there's one thing essential in all of those. It's got to taste like a Coke. All right? The same thing within our families. We may have a young married family. We may have a family with children. We may have an empty nest family. We may have a senior adult family. We may have a single parent family. But there's one thing that is essential in all of them, and we find these essentials in God's Word this morning. And for all of our homes, the first essential, essential that I see is found in verse 14, and that is a unity of love. A unity of love. So in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 14, it says, And above or over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now it says, over all these virtues. Well, in a moment, we're going to go back in verses 12 and 13. We're going to look at seven virtues that need to be found. But over all of them, the scripture says, verse 14, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them, which means glues them all together in perfect unity. It starts with love. In our families, if we're going to have a Christian home, it needs to be characterized by love. When we talk about love, we're talking about showing our love. We're talking about each and every day there ought to be a, a certain amount of affection in our homes. There ought to be the hugging and the kissing and the caressing and the nestling together in our relationships. And I'm going to tell you what, parents, you are the key. Husbands and wives, you are the key in your home. You need to be showing this before your children. You need to show that, that there truly is love, love in action. They see it in you as parents. I remember a, a story about a, a couple. They had been married for 40 years. And they were struggling. They were fighting and they were fussing with each other. So they, they had to go to a counselor. They went to a counselor. And for 20 minutes, they argued in front of this counselor. Well, the counselor felt like he kind of diagnosed what the problem was. So he got up from behind his desk. He walked around. He took the hand of the wife. He lifted her up. And he laid a passionate Hollywood kiss on that woman. And then he turned to the husband and said, this is what she needs three times a week. And he said, that's okay, doctor. I'll bring her in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. <laughs> we need to express our love. And it begins with a husband and a wife. And as you express it. And men, I want to tell you this. As fathers, listen, you are a key to your children's understanding and their future spouses they're going to have. Because when you love their mother, that is so important. I think it is an essential, one of the greatest things you could ever do is to make sure that you are loving their mother and they can see that love 
in action. Kissing, hugging, uh, uh, just nestling one another, they need to see that. Now, I understand not every family, not every family is into this. Some may be less affectionate than others, but you still need to do it. One of the special things that our Linda and I experienced in our home was that we would hug and kiss and, and say in the, I'd come in from the office and we'd be in the kitchen, be hugging and kissing. When our kids were little, you know what they would do? They would run and just get in between us and try to separate us. And we'd kind of fend them off and we'd keep hugging or kissing, whatever. And finally, they'd get right in between us and we'd just do a big old group hug. I wanted my children to know, our children, that I loved their mother and that she was first in my life and that she would always be first. But they, of course, were all a part of it. They needed to see that love and they needed to see that affection. And it, there's something about binding. Notice it says put on love in the passage. That's something we do. That's something that we do. We have to show it. There was an elderly man. He, he was on a bus. He had, he had flowers. He had a bouquet of flowers. And it was Valentine's Day. A young man gets on the same bus and sits next to him. He notices the flowers. He said, oh, uh, someone's getting some flowers today. And he said, yes, I'm taking these flowers to my wife. And the old man looked over to the young man and saw that he had a, a card. He said, is that a Valentine's card? He said, yes, uh, this is all I have. I'm, I'm taking it to my sweetheart. And a moment later, the old man said to the young man, he said, I'm going to give you these flowers. I want you to give these flowers to your sweetheart. I believe this is what my wife would want me to do with these flowers, is to give them to you to give to your sweetheart. Well, the young man tried to talk him out of it, but he couldn't do it. He, and he, he uh, took him, said, thank you for this. And then the next bus stop, the older man got off the bus. And as the young man watched him leave the bus, he saw him walk into a cemetery. Folks, dead noses smell no roses. Dead noses smell no roses. We need to be expressing our love while we have opportunities. The words, the actions, everything behind it. Now notice something else in this passage. We go back to verses 12 and 13, and we see there has to be a caring atmosphere. It's more than just hugging and kissing and saying, I love you. All of those are vital. All of those are important. But now we have to create a caring atmosphere. And so in this passage, we begin in verse 12 by saying, As God's chosen and holy, dearly loved... Clothe yourself. In other words, put it on. Put it on so that people can see. Exhibit what we're about to read. These seven actions in our life. People need to be able to see these. And this adds the, the foundation for the unity of love. Notice it begins with compassion. Compassion is feeling someone else's pain. It's getting involved. It's, it's being a part of the solution. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan and Luke. And as the Good Samaritan saw that this man was hurt, he bound up his wounds. He took him to, to the nearest inn and made sure that he was taken care of. He showed compassion. He got involved. And Jesus makes that application that, that we have responsibility. In a family, this is where it begins. We learn how to be compassionate when, with one another. It also says that we need to exhibit kindness. Kindness. Kindness is no more than common courtesy. And common courtesies ought to be uh, first exhibited and always within a family. I've seen some people, they're, they're more courteous to people when they walk into Walmart or any other store 
than they are sometimes to their own wife, their own husband, to their children, or to their parents. We ought to first exhibit and always common courtesies within the home. I don't know about you, but I still find myself upset and shocked when I see physical or hear about physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. I, 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 I hate it when I hear about it, when I see it. Um, it, 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 just, it does something on the inside of me to think that people are so unkind to their, to their family members. And yet, sometimes we fail to see how our words can hurt. Listen to what this one father said to his son. What, what's wrong with you? you? You can't do anything right. Can you imagine how that little boy felt as he's cringing at those words that his father has said? Or a mother who says these words, you, you always get on my nerves. Why don't you straighten up? Folks, anger, anger does not reflect love, does it? Or maybe a husband uh, abuses his wife and, and, and calls her an, an old woman or, or, or an old bag or the, or the ugliest thing, you're the ugliest thing I've ever seen. What does that do to the, to the wife? Or to the wife who's always emasculating her husband verbally, why, why aren't you like so-and-so? Why can't you make more money? But then I've seen the sarcasm that sometimes that people just throw at each other like darts, the put-downs in life as well. There's no place for this within God's family, His human family. We ought not be this, this way. We ought not share disrespectful words to each other. That is not being kind to one another. And the Bible reminds us the home should be a place of tenderness, of compassion, and of kindness. And then the appropriate touching and sharing within the family unit, showing our love. Notice the third uh, ingredient here essential it's it's humility humility when we humble ourselves before our family and we put them before ourselves we talked about this a few weeks ago in our philippians 2 passage we talked about lifting up christ jesus and we talked about in philippians 2 verses 2 and 3 how jesus was the supreme example of humility of putting others before himself others interests Notice in verse 12, there's also gentleness. Gentleness means strength under control. Often our King James Version uses the word meekness. In today's world, meekness has come to mean weakness, being a milquetoast kind of person. That's not what is behind the Greek word. When we see the word gentleness or meekness, the Greek word behind it means to, to have strength that is under control. That's what it means. It's a picture of a, of a stallion. That it's being broken so it can be ridden by, by a rider. And it's the strength that is now under the control of the bridle, of the reins. And so it is in our families. We show gentleness. We are strength under control within our family. And then lastly in verse 12, it says that we ought to be patient. We ought to be patient with one another. We shouldn't expect a one-year-old to act like a four-year-old or a four-year-old to act like an eight-year-old. An eight-year-old to like, act like a 16-year-old or a 16-year-old to act like a 21-year-old. We need to allow for the developmental stages of our children until they are young adults, till they're out of our home. And recognize that we are all still under God's construction. God's not through with anyone. He is not through with any one of us. I think it's Ruth Graham on her graveside there in North Carolina. Construction ended. Thank you for being patient. All right? I think that's what's on her grave marker, on her, on her gravestone. Construction is ended. Thank you for being patient. 
We go through construction sites. And it's not easy sometimes maneuvering, but we recognize that this is a necessity. So it is in our lives as well. We are under construction. It's not ended until we take our last breath. So let's be patient with each other. And then Paul goes in verse 13, he adds two more. He says, bear with one another in verse uh, 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So there's two more ingredients, seven altogether. Bear with one another. That's being tolerant of each other. That is an attempt to get along, to put up and to endure Whatever may be happening, the growth spurts in your family, whatever you're going through at particular times when there's crisis, when there's stress, that you bear with one another. I'm so thankful, not only that my parents did that, but those that taught me in school, those that taught me in church through the years, that people would bear with me. Whatever I was going through, they would be encouragement and helpful to me. Point out when I've been going in the wrong direction or I've had a wrong attitude or a bad attitude about something, but still being patient with me. And then forgiving. This last essential for, for a home, just being able to forgive. Remember, forgiveness means that we, that we give up our right to get revenge. We, we give up our right to seek out justice in a particular situation. We're giving that up in our family and recognize that we have to let some things go. We've been hurt, but then we forgive people. Now, that doesn't mean that, that when somebody hurts us outside that we, we may not still be friends with them, but our, our family, we want to work out whatever it is, whatever the problem, whatever the situation, and forgive. Why? Because God has forgiven us. There's nothing that you have ever done or will do or anybody will do to you that is not greater than what we have done to God ourselves. Nothing will be greater than what God has to put up with with you and me. Our sin, just one sin, we were deserving of hell and being cast off for all eternity, but by His grace, through His Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sin, that we might have forgiveness, that we might be able to have that right relationship with Him and spend all eternity with Him. We forgive because the Lord has forgiven us. Now, those are the, the things that are necessary for a caring atmosphere. But I want you to notice also in our passage in verse 15, a peace that fosters security. Notice in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. When I think of peace, I'm thinking of security. Isn't that what peace brings us? Peace brings us security. So in a home, we want security that comes because we have peace with Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand the aspects of the security that we're talking about here. If you can just picture in your mind here in front of me, there's a triangle, all right, a triangle. On this side of the triangle, we need personal security, personal security. When I think of personal security, I'm talking about being protected. I'm being, being protected by my family. That's what it means to me. When I was uh, a baby, my mom and dad protected me. They took care of me. 
They, they changed the diapers. They, they're the ones that fed me. They made sure I had clothes. They made sure I had, I had a home, had a bed. All right? So they had, I had personal security within the family. And the Bible says that man should not, should not be alone. And so I have my, had my family. And I had a responsibility once I married, and Arlinda and I married, and children came into our home to provide personal security to be sure that our children from birth until they were out of our home, that they were taking care of personal security. On the other side of the triangle, let's think of emotional security. Again, man's not supposed to be alone, and, and it's not right for them to be alone. Why? Because we need togetherness, the emotional safety of a home. Because in life, there are ups and downs. Would you not agree? Aren't there times when there's discouragement? when there's crisis, when there is stress, and isn't it easier to bear that together? And so we have emotional security. It's just like when I remember as a child going to the dentist, it was a good thing that I had my mother with me going to a dentist, all right? I had emotional, not just physical security, I had emotional security. Mom was there to comfort me. And so it is, as I grew up, I had the emotional security of the home. With our Linda and, our, and me, with our marriage, we had the same thing. We provided that for each other when we went through health crisis, when we had various issues in our family. I was sharing with someone earlier, um, one of our daughters went through colon cancer three times. In the colon, in the liver, in the lungs. Three different chemotherapy uh, uh, treatments. And she's been cancer-free now for about 12 years, all right? And so we're very thankful for that. But we had emotional security to get us through that time in the family's life. As it is all, whether it be my wife, me, our son, our, our other daughter, we've all had crisis of some sort. And we were, had emotional security to get ourselves through it. And then at the bottom of the triangle, let's call this moral security. Because it's within the home that we learn to trust each other, to commit to each other, to be faithful to each other, fidelity to one another. First as husband and wife, but also the children and the commitment to the family. And so the peace that comes through Jesus Christ fosters security for us. There's a, a fourth area, and that is the joy of worship. Michael, you ought to enjoy this one there in verse 16, all right? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We're talking about the joy of worship. Folks, the family that prays together, what? Stays together. The family that worships together stays together as well. Right, Micah? It is true. And it begins when, when as a husband and wife, Young marriage, you go to church together. Arlinda and I were blessed. We had homes where our parents took us to church from very, very young and all the way up, okay? So when we married, it wasn't just because I was called in ministry and preparing for ministry. It went to church because that's what we did. We were Christians. We wanted to worship God. And so when our son came along, he was just a couple weeks old. He was in, in childcare while, we while we were worshiping together. And then when our two daughters came along a few years later, a few weeks, they were in church. And they've always been in church. He said, well, you're a preacher. They, they had to go to church. Well, they did. All right? Yeah. 
They had to go to church. But I'm going to tell you what, years later, we asked our children, what was the hardest thing about being the pastor's children? And my children love to go to church, but I asked them, what's the hardest thing? Two things, week-long revivals. I bet you didn't like week-long revivals either. I mean, you think you got tired at the end of them, okay? And the second thing, daddy had to be called home three, maybe four times in all those years they were home, a little early, maybe a day early, to do a funeral. They, they never complained about being in church. They love going to church because they saw something in their mom and dad. Again, I realize I'm not putting us up on a pedestal. We had our problems and crises and issues just like anybody else did. But when it came to church, they saw that their mom and dad loved to worship. And they wanted to worship too. You see me down here singing the songs. I'm not down here and just watching what's going on. I'm down here participating because I love worship. I want to be a part of it. It was ingrained in me because my mama took us, took us to church. Daddy became a Christian later on. Mom took us and we worshiped God. It's an essential element for the home. And lastly, the foundation of faith. Let's go back to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. The foundation of faith. Folks, you can't have the unity of love. And, and you can't have a caring atmosphere. You can't have a peace that fosters security. You can't have the joy of worship if there's not the foundation of faith. And that means a vital relationship in Jesus Christ. Where mom and dad are Christians, and then at the appropriate time as their children come to an understanding of sin in their life, feeling the Holy Spirit's conviction, they too repent of their sin and invite Christ into their hearts. Remember, God had a perfect design for family. Sin disrupted it. It is out of our brokenness that we realize that we are sinners and that we are in need of a Savior. And then we come to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. From that brokenness, from repentance, to making a decision for Jesus Christ. And receiving the gospel, the good news, into our life. This is the foundation. It's essential for the Christian home. Well, those are the essentials for home. Let's look at some instructions for the family members. Now, what we're about to read, beginning in verses 18 through 21, again, this is not exhaustive. These are just a few short commands. There's so much more we could talk about. We could spend a month of Sundays dealing with all what the Bible has to say about a Christian family. But let's let these just kind of prime the pump for us a little bit of some areas that we need to make sure we give close attention. If you want more detail, go to Ephesians 5 and 6 or 1 Peter 3. You'll find even more words that we need to live by. But let's begin with these. Uh, verse 18. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as the fitting in the Lord. I know that's a scary verse because it's been so abused. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's been abused. Let's face it. It's created a lot of anger, a lot of fear in women's lives because men abuse this. They don't understand what submission is from their point of view. And a woman is afraid, hey, all the husband wants to do is boss me around. And that's not what it means. The word, Greek word is hupatasso, which means to, to uh, beside oneself, to, to be uh, behind someone, and to be lifted up, to strengthen. And so when you put the two words, the idea is this. A woman who submits is strengthening, she is lifting up, supporting her husband. That's what the word means. 
It's just to support, to lift up, to help them. And a woman does this through her emotional support, her physical support, and through her prayer support, her spiritual support. And so there are times, and Arlinda and I can give evidence of this through the years, that we share in our decisions. When we talk over major decisions that have to be made, we've talked them over. There have been times she's been right on target. There's been times I've been right on target. There have been times when we may not fully have agreed. And so she has submitted to me as the authority, just like we do our government, like we do police, like we do our employer, like we do the pastor in the church. She submitted to me making that final decision. That was not a put down. Somebody had to take that, to take that last word. God says a husband has to take that final word. And then I face God if it's a wrong decision. And there have been many times I was right. There have been a few times I was wrong and would have to apologize. But I was responsible for God. I never abused it. A loving husband will never demand submission. And when a woman, a woman submits, she is not a second-class citizen. It's not a put-down for her. It is what God says, just very simply, to give support, be behind, lift up, strengthen your husband. All right, let's look at the husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives. See, it's natural for your wife to love you. It's not, that's part of a woman's nature is to love. And the scripture in Ephesians 5, you know, the hard thing for a woman is to respect her husband. That's why Paul ends that passage where wives respect your husband. See, it's easy for a woman to love her husband. It's a little more challenging to respect her husband. On the other side, men, we live in a world of respect. That's our world as men. But for us, love is not as supreme. So we have to work at that love. So here it says, husbands, love your wives. Learn how to sacrifice for your wife. There's an old story, maybe you've heard it about Bud. Bud was a, a, a typical Archie Bunker. And a lot of you are younger. You don't remember that sitcom back during the 70s of... Uh, of uh, O'Connor who uh, played that part and, and Archie Bunker, an old sitcom and he was a, a crouchety old man very prejudiced and biased but that was part of the, the part of the, the uh, movie itself or program but there was a guy just like Archie Bunker I mean he would come in from his factory job sweaty, smelly, dirty he would come in the back door he'd open the fridge and get his alcoholic beverage of choice he'd go sit down and, uh, and his chair turned on the TV, and he would wait for his wife to serve him supper. Well, one morning, he's listening to the radio. He's on the way to work, and he's listening to the radio. He happens to tune into a Christian radio station. And there was a local man talking, uh, the local version of a James Dobson, and talking about marriage and the importance for husbands to love their wives and sacrifice for their wives. Well, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. And he realized he had never sacrificed for his wife. It was just words, I love you. He had never sacrificed for his wife. He became under conviction. And so he made a plan. And so the next day, he, he took a change of clothes and whatever. So at work, he could shower. So he showered before he left work, the factory, the next day. He went by a florist. He got a bouquet of flowers. And instead of going to the back door, he went to the front door. He rang the doorbell. And his wife answered the door, and there he was, all cleaned up, all shaven, with this bouquet of flowers. He gave it to her. He said, honey, I love you. She broke out in tears. 
She said, oh, it's been such a terrible day. Billy, our son, broke his arm. I had to take him to the, to the doctor and, and put a cast on. Then I came home, and your mother called and said she's coming to stay with us for two weeks. <laughs> and then I went down in the basement, and it was full of water. I left the washing machine going undoubtedly. It's broke. Water was everywhere. And now you come home drunk. I <laughs> Poor Bud, he couldn't win for losing, could he? But at least he had the right idea, was moving in the right direction. Husbands, love your wives. Not just the hugging, kissing, and the words. Show it, sacrifice for her. Notice, and don't be harsh to her. Don't be harsh. Peter calls her the weakest sex. And that's not because of weakness in character or mind or whatever. It is just saying that in, as far as strength is good, we need to cherish her. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 5, 29. We're to cherish our wives. Men, what's the most special thing? What is the most prized treasure you have? It is to be your wife. She is to be cherished and treated in a very special way. Quickly, we move on to verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents. This is what pleases the Lord. Every child here, we please our families. Now, let's understand, and we talked a little bit about this last week. You may hear it again in a couple of weeks. A man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. They become one flesh. There's a new family unit. We will always honor our parents, but we don't always obey them. Once we leave home, there's not that obligation. And families should not be trying to control their adult children and force them into decision, pressure them, guilt them into decisions. That's not right. And you need to understand that as an adult child and you're in your home, no longer are you required to obey. You honor, you respect, and the opportunity of doing things when you can, you should. My, my wife was there for her mother, my mother-in-law. We brought her into our home with Alzheimer's. And we took care of her. And then into an assisted living nine months just before she died. That's honoring the mother, but we, uh, my mother-in-law. But that didn't mean that she ordered us around or would take control all those other years. That would not have been right. And the same with any other family situation. We, we do what's right, but we don't obey. But when you're at home, until you leave that home and on your own, you obey your mom and dad. It is pleasing to the Lord. And lastly, we look at fathers. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Don't embitter, meaning don't exasperate. Don't exasperate your children. Men, we can be, we can be harsh, not only on our wives. We can, we can be that with our children. We don't want to embitter them, disappoint them, discourage them in the family unit. I'm going to be transparent here. Our son... <clears throat> When he was 17 years old, we were still in Enterprise. It was about a year before we came to Prival. We're sitting at our kitchen table, and he is discussing something with me and, and kind of arguing his case, wanting to do something. And as he was talking, and I started responding back to him, I, I exasperated my son. My 17-year-old started to cry. And God convicted me. 
how I was dealing with the situation. And I had to ask my son to forgive me. Because it wasn't my nature, but in this particular case, I was wrong. And we, after I apologized, I was able to listen clearer. On that particular issue, he was right. And I relented my position and said yes. Now, that doesn't mean that from then on, all right, there was always a clear understanding. There were times that maybe I did have to speak up and still be dad because he was still living in the home. But on that particular time, I exasperated him, and he cried. And it broke my heart because I was wrong. We need to be careful, men, because of our position of authority and within a family, that we don't exasperate, that we don't embitter them, that we don't so discourage our children. And it can be a fine line at times, but we've got to find that line. I'll probably speak more about this next Sunday, about this particular issue. Now lastly, let's look <clears throat> at the last point, and that has to do with an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. Let's look back in verse 15. The last phrase, it says, and be thankful. Verse 16, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The last part of verse 17, give thanks to God, the Father, through Him. We need to have an attitude of gratitude. We need to be thankful for our families. Are you really thankful? You know, someone says you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. That's true. I didn't pick my parents. I was blessed to pick my wife, the one that I felt God wanted, and he's blessed us in marriage. Our children didn't get to pick their parents. I didn't get to pick my children. But I love my children, and my children love their mom and dad. And we wanted to create an atmosphere where we would do what was right, have the right atmosphere, the right kind of discipline, but where they would want to come home and they want to be a part of the family. Can I, can I share with you an illustration in closing from Seven Habits of a, a Successful Life or Successful Man? Seven Habits of a Successful Person. Steve Covey wrote this book years and years ago. How to be successful in life. And he talked about the golden goose. A man bought a golden goose. And that golden goose, after having it one week, laid a golden egg. The man took the golden egg. He went. He sold it. He took the money. He lived wildly for that week. Next week came. The golden goose laid another golden egg. He did the same thing. He took that egg. He went and sold it. And he, he just reveled in the money and the money that he got. This went on for weeks, week after week. The goose was laying the golden egg. One particular week, the man got impatient. And he decided to kill the goose so he could go ahead and get the golden egg. And he sold it and lived on that wildly. But then the next week, there was no more golden eggs because he had killed the golden goose. If we're not careful, we kill the most prized possession we can have on earth. And that is our family. Our family is the golden goose. And if we're not careful, we can destroy it 
by not following God's design. We're talking about God's design for family relationships. When we fail to follow His design, we're not saying it's going to be perfect. It's still going to be hard. But if we will follow God's word, it will be amazing the success, the joy, the satisfaction you can have in your family. Can I share one personal situation or illustration of this weekend? We, we have four grandsons in Prattville, but we have two granddaughters in Birmingham. And because our son serves part-time on the church staff, we don't always get to see them like we do our grandsons. But our granddaughters have been with us this weekend. One just finished her freshman year at Auburn, and the other uh, is going into 10th grade. So we've had them. We had them Friday night. One of our daughters could go out to eat with us, and then we went back to their house and swam in their pool. We had a great time. And then yesterday, I'm known for doing waffles when we have all the family together. So those who could come yesterday morning, we made waffles. And we sat around the table with our two other grandsons that couldn't be there the other night. And we shared around the table with our granddaughters and one of our other daughters. And we just had a great time around the table. And then last night, some more fun time. Today, our granddaughters are going to church and travel with their uh, cousins and to a college class and they will be with another daughter and then tonight we're going to be with the other daughter and just sharing a weekend we're making memories we're making memories that's what family does the security and the happiness and the joy of family again I don't put us on a pedestal don't don't get that idea but we've been trying to live by God's word we feel blessed we want you to be blessed when you follow God's teaching it's amazing what God will do in your family life and it's never too late I don't care how old you are it's never too late to follow God's word and see what he will do in your family life let's pray father thank you for this time it's so precious 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 the Christian family there's so much at stake father we're living in a world that wants to destroy the family and yet you're saying this is where we learn where we grow the safety net of living in a world of sin. So help us as the church, the body of Christ, to do what is right, to do what would bring honor and glory to you. Father, we pray for decisions. There may be somebody here, they're not a Christian, and it begins with the foundation of faith. May they repent of their sin. May they follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. Make that decision public. Begin to grow as his disciple to be the person you want them to be thank you for the safety net of the church family when sometimes our families aren't what they are supposed to be and no fault of ours we may have been doing the right thing we may have a prodigal but we've been trying to do the right thing but thank you for the safety net of the church our church family that sometimes helps us take up the slack bless this time of invitation as you speak to us in christ's name we pray amen